All right. Welcome to Weekly Tanya. I don't know if people noticed, but this week, I think out of Shabbos, we uploaded all of the shiurim from this year, starting from class one, where we did the Hagdomas HaMalaket, where we did the preface, the author's or the compiler's introduction. And I think there was 25 of these classes up until today. I'm not sure exactly the number, but around 25. They were all, they've all been on YouTube all year. We upload them immediately to YouTube. Uh, but I think Erev Shabbos Taibel just uploaded all of them to all the podcast platforms like Spotify and Google Podcasts and iTunes. So if you consume your content that way, your friends consume their content that way, please let them know about that. And even if you are a regular here, like, where's Tamar? She was telling me as she's walking in that she just caught up on double speed as she's walking in. She listened to last week on double speed to make sure that she wouldn't have to burden the class asking any questions. What did I miss last week? No, she's not going to have to do that because she listened. Where did you do it? On YouTube. On YouTube, right. But now you could do it on Spotify and on iTunes and on Google Podcasts and your favorite podcast platforms. Okay. So, even though no one is going to have to ask, what did we learn last week? But I always try to do a little review anyway to give context, especially when there are new regulars here. So let's just fill in the blank. We're learning a Sefer called Tanya. And uh, we call it Tanya. The author called it Sefer Shalbaninim, a guidebook how to become an intermediate person. An intermediate person, he's not a tzaddik, he's not a rasha, he's an intermediate. And we explained, what's a rasha? A person, a good person. He just doesn't always do the right thing. What's a tzaddik? Tzaddik is this, this incredible... Uh, holy, godly person who doesn't even want, doesn't even feel temptation to ever do something wrong. Yeah, a very rare person. A Bainini is a person that sometimes they feel the temptation to do wrong, but they have behavioral control. They don't do the wrong thing. They might feel like it, but they don't, they don't give in. Okay. And we spoke about, back in chapter 12, that the brain rules over the heart. And the way that we explained that was impulse control. You feel like doing the wrong thing? Okay, well, you don't have to do it. You're not an animal. You're a human being. You can choose not to give in to your desire. And uh, that was the first tool that we spoke about, just inhibition. Then we, in the previous chapter, chapter 16, we spoke about Mayach Shalta Alev in a little bit of a new way, which is not to use the brain to override the desires of the heart but to use the brain through meditation to create new desires in the heart. That was last week, chapter 16. To use the brain through meditation to create new desires. So if you meditate on Hashem, you will come to feel greater love and awe of Hashem. And that would give us the ability to align ourselves emotionally with the behaviors that we're committed to. Okay? You want to ask something? Is the meditation what? Where's the intellect in meditation? Well, you don't meditate with your elbow. Meditation is an intellectual exercise. Right. But the emotion has to first 
Okay, so as we, very good, you're quoting from chapter, do you remember? You want to show off? <laughs> yes, correct, she goes like this, yeah. Chapter three, that the emotions are the children of intellect, okay? So if we want an emotion, emotions come from intellect, so we go and we meditate, that's the intellect, and we create an emotion. Or I could flip your statement and say it the, the opposite way. Instead of saying, where's the intellect in the, in the meditation, I, I might say it, like, and this might be even more salient to say it this way. Um, the purpose of every meditation is to create an emotion. What is a meditation? It's a cognitive process. But what's its objective? To create an emotion. Yeah. If I intellectually cannot make sense of Hashem, which we can't, correct? How do I develop yeah, but see, <laughs> you can always say, well, Hashem is unknowable. All right, and therefore, what, what do you want to do? Not think about him? Every man could say that about his wife. I'm never going to understand her. That's why I don't think about her. Oh, like the water from the end of chapter 4. That Torah, very, oh, very good. That said in the at end of chapter 4 that Hashem puts himself in the Torah like the water that flows downward. So through Torah, you can grasp Hashem. That is correct. Very good. That Hashem gives himself to us in a knowable format. Now, is that all there is? Obviously not. There's an infinite essence beyond what we can grasp. But that does not relieve us of the duty to understand all that we can grasp. Okay, but let's say in trying to understand... We're, we're not trying to understand Hashem. That's, that's impossible. We're trying to fill our brains with as much as we can understand of Hashem. The goal isn't, go figure out Hashem... It'll never happen. The goal is, you know that brain Hashem gave you? Instead of using it to think about all types of other interesting things and developing emotional attachments to those things, use your brain to think about Hashem and nurture your feelings for Him. You meditate and the feelings are not love and awe, then, there's, then, then the meditation's wrong. Then you're meditating wrong. Then you're meditating wrong. So this is a valid question. People, people came over to me after last week and they said, what, what do we meditate on? And I said, you know, it's funny. 41 through 50, chapters 41 through 50, there are 53 chapters in Tanya. Chapters 41 through 50 are at length describing the various meditations to produce not only, lo not only love and awe, but different kinds of love and different kinds of awe. But for some reason, I have theories why, in chapter 16, when he introduces the notion of meditation, he doesn't really tell you what the meditation is about. He just says in a very general way to meditate on the greatness of God. Okay. So yeah. we insert a one word in that sentence of the purpose of every meditation is to create is it a positive emotion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it should go without saying it's a positive emotion. Yes, yeah. because no, there are a lot of negative emotions. Yeah, yeah, the purpose is to create a positive emotion. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so can we do chapter 17? 
Okay. Perek Yud Zayin, Chapter Seventeen. Of Vezei Yuvin Mashakosov, Kikar Velach Adav Meid Befichel Vav Chalaseisei. And now we are poised to understand the verse, for it is very near to you. This matter in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. Do you guys recognize that verse? Kikar Velach Adav Meid. You recognize that verse? Where did we see this verse? It's one of the twelve psukim. That is true. Yeah, but where do we see this verse in Tanya? On the title page. You remember on the title page, you're off, you don't have to remember the title page. On the title page, it said that this book, Sefer Shobaninim, the manual How to Be an Intermediate, is based, it is based on the premise of the verse, this matter is very near to you in your heart and your mouth that you may do it. And then it says right under there, Levar to explain how precisely is this accessible? Near means accessible. How is this an accessible or attainable goal? Is the title page and the preface the same thing? No. The title page is a title page. The preface starts on another page. Okay, so this is even before the preface. Before the preface. But we learned the title page. And I have evidence on Spotify. You can go look it up. We learned the title page. So back in the title page we said that it is attainable. It is attainable. Don't say it's unattainable. It is attainable. All right. So now we are poised at this point in chapter 17. We're poised to understand properly what does it mean that the Torah, this matter, Torah observance, is attainable. Especially when he says, in your heart, in my heart, like, if you would tell me I could do it and go through the motions and I don't always have to feel it, I get that. Because he explained to me already that you can do things that you don't want to do and you can not do things that you do want to do and you just use uh, impulse control. But to actually make yourself feel what you don't feel, I don't know if I can do that. Well, based on our previous chapter, we're going to understand, relatively speaking, what that means to get yourself to feel what you're supposed to feel and not feel what you're not supposed to feel. Basically, he, he formulates it as a question, a wonderful question. Just the question itself is so wonderful because you see so often religious people are afraid to ask questions where human experience contradicts scripture. Very often the answer to a question is, well, it says in Torah that such and such. Yeah, I know it says that, but that hasn't been my experience. There's an old joke about a guy. It's a little bit of a sexist joke, but maybe it's not. I don't know. Whatever. What? Don't, we're not snowflakes. Okay, fine. So I'll, all right. So the, the joke, it's not even funny. It's one of my jokes, but there's a guy whose wife is hitting him with a broom. I don't even, that's not really funny. It's spousal abuse. But she's hitting him with a broom, and he's hiding under the table, and he's screaming at her, That was a joke. You could laugh. You know the Pasuk? It's from Bereshus. Uh, it's one of the curses of Chava, that after she uh, leads Adam to eat from the 
Eitzadas. So after Eve tells Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge, or they both eat from the tree of knowledge, so one of the curses is, Elisheich Your yearning will be for your husband, and he will dominate over, over you. He'll, he'll rule over you. So the guy is under the table, his wife's hitting him with a broom, and he's screaming psukim, he's, he's invoking the scriptural truth. Well, how can this be? This is not, like, I protest to this reality. This can't be, you can't be dominating me. I'm the husband, I dominate over you. You guys know such people? It's not about the, it's not a marriage observation I'm making right now. I make the observation sometimes when you ask a religious person a question, they'll just tell you, well, as I state, this is what it says. Yeah, but it doesn't align with my experience. Sorry, what can I tell you? Okay. The Altareb is not going to do that to you. He's, he, in fact, not only he'll answer such a question, he's asking the question. He's asking the question. The Lechoda seemingly... This statement that the Torah made, that it is kare, that it is accessible, it is attainable to fulfill Torah in your heart. Belvavcha means in your heart. That means emotionally. This statement, the Torah is making a claim. The Torah is saying, it is a, is it a, it's a totally attainable thing to align yourself emotionally, not just behaviorally, but emotionally with what Torah wants you to do. So the Alta Rebbe says, this statement seemingly negedachush shalanu. It goes against our experience. In other words, I have empirical evidence that this is not the case, seemingly. It's a good question. Tate is making a claim. It is attainable to be emotionally aligned with what Hashem wants from you. That you should want what Hashem wants and not want, not want what Hashem doesn't want. Okay, that's beautiful, that's ideal, but you're telling me that that's karev, that that's attainable, that hasn't been my experience. That hasn't been my experience. You're going to have to explain that to me. Now, <laughs> look at the next words. The Al-Tarebbe cuts off an easy slam dunk argument that he could have made if he were one of these rabbis who just likes to close the conversation and get you out of his hair. <laughs> He writes in brackets, nitzchis, and Torah is eternal. You know why he writes that? Because an easy answer to just dismiss the whole conversation would be, well, <clears throat> was spoken by Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moses was saying that to the people of his time. For them it was accessible, but for us it's not. And then he could just close the whole conversation. That's why you have a problem with it, because we can't do that anymore. The Al-Tareb is not going to accept that. He says, no, no. Torah is eternal. So if it says it in Torah, at any time that it is accessible to align your emotions with Hashem's will, then it is, it, it is always true. It's true for us. And now we're, now we're in a pickle. We're going to have to figure out how to reconcile the scriptural statement with our personal experience. Okay? I just, I'm pointing this out because I think it's such a wonderfully human way of pursuing clarity. It's, it's very validating. The, the question starts 
with the premise that your experience is, is valid. And that we're not just going to dismiss your experience for being seemingly in conflict with Taita. Because in truth, we're not afraid that that's going to be the conclusion. No human experience can be in conflict with Taita because Taita creates all human experience. We know that, like the Zayar says, Hashem looked into the Taita and created the world. Taita is the blueprint for reality. So nothing in reality can truly contradict Taita. There can just be some things that need to be understood a little bit better how they don't contradict Torah. Okay? All right. So he says, it seems to be against our experience. It's not exceedingly close. And here he seizes upon the word ma'id. Because the verse made a claim, not only it's caught of, it's caught of ma'id with the amplifier. Not just it's close, it's very close. He says, that's not our experience, that it's very close. To truly transfer my loves from whatever my pleasures are over to doing what Hashem wants for me. Now, I could behaviorally comply, I could go along with what Hashem wants for me, but to really change my heart and get myself to want only what He wants and to not want, want what He doesn't want, I have not experienced that that's easy. And yet the Torah makes a claim, caught of ma'id, it is very accessible. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a problem if the Torah would have just said, it is very easy to do it. But Torah had to go there and said, in your mouth, in your heart, it had to say in your heart, well, I'm sorry, my experience is it's not easy to change my heart. Like it says in Gemara, and now the Altareb is going to build the argument. He's, he's, he's making the, you understand, He's making the question stronger at this point. He's not answering yet. He's still building the question. The question is based on our personal experience. It's not easy to do this. And now the Alter Rebbe is going to say, oh, by the way, if you're a Talmud Chochem, you could even <laughs> find some Gemaras that will support that argument. And he's supporting the argument. He's saying, like it says in Gemara, Atu Yira Milsil Zatartihi. Is it so that fear of Hashem is a small matter? And how much more so love. That's logic. Love is harder than, than awe. That's why awe is a first step. Love is more expert mode. So the Gemara itself says, when, uh, when it's speaking about the verse, that Moshe is speaking to the, the Jewish people and, and telling them all Hashem wants is for you to fear Him. And the Gemara asks, all Hashem wants that's a small matter. It's not a small matter. It's a big deal. And here, the Alter Rebbe adds another source from our sages to amplify the question, to strengthen the question. Our sages say, Only tzaddikim have true control over their heart. means their heart is in their domain. Yeah. So in chapter 12, 
we learned the first tool, the brain rules over the heart. Mm -hmm. so if you're telling us now it's not so easy. In chapter 12, we learned the brain rules over the heart, meaning you can bypass the heart. That's what we learned? Yes. We learned For that you can skip the emotion and to go to the behavior and don't worry about how you feel. You can look like a tzaddik on the outside, but be conflicted on the inside. And that was the first tool that we learned in chapter 12. Now we're talking about something different. To actually change the feelings. And he's saying that's not a small deal. Changing feelings is not a small deal. Now the claim in the Pesach, makes it sound very easy. But he says, A, that's not our experience. It's not our experience that it's so easy. B, the Gemara acknowledges that it's not a small matter to achieve Yiras Hashem. C, only Tzadikim have that kind of control to will themselves to feel what they're supposed to feel. Other people don't have that ability. So we have a question. We have a very valid question here. But this is what the Altarib is saying. At this point in Tanya, we actually have all the information we need already to answer this question. We already have all the information that we need to answer this question. Okay. Allah, but rather, now he's going to start the answer. He's going to start the answer now. Okay. De la asay say, when the verse says, la asay say, to do it, it's explaining, it's not just a laundry list. Beficha, ovelavavcha, la laasaisa is modifying the words that come before it. In other words, what degree of emotional congruence are we able to achieve? Enough laasaisa to produce the right behavior. You understand what he's saying? He's not saying you're going to be able to achieve complete transformation of the heart. No, that's tzaddikim dafka libam barashusim. That's a tzaddik. What he is saying, and, and also he's not saying the opposite extreme, which is forget about your heart. You'll never, you'll, you'll never make a dent in your emotions. Just, just bypass it and go straight to the behaviors. What he's saying is you can achieve some degree of emotional mastery. Not complete, Certainly not complete, or you would be a tzaddik, but some degree. What degree? Enough to get you to do the thing that you need to do. So you may be conflicted still. You will be conflicted still. But there's enough of a tipping point where my emotions are strong enough to translate into action. Yeah. So that, that's a second thing. There's two things going on. There's two tools, and we're using both of them. One tool is from chapter 12, which is, who cares how you feel? And that's valid. That's a great tool. Sometimes it's, who cares how you feel? Just do the right thing. But now he's adding a second tool, which is, and you know what? You can even get yourself to feel the right things. Now, will I achieve that completely? No, I won't achieve that completely. So I always have the first tool, which is force yourself even when you don't want to. Isn't it kind of like the psychological thing of acknowledging your feelings, that they're there, but letting your brain take over and say no? 
Right, that's the first tool, which is you acknowledge the feeling, and then you make a decision. Is this a good feeling to act on or not a good feeling to act on? That's the first tool. Here we're saying I can actually start to change my feelings to be more desirable feelings. Yeah, which is a, which is a bigger claim that he's making, but he's explaining that. Hmm? Well, we do, we do, but he, he didn't... He didn't say it yet in this chapter, but really, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, it's what I told you in chapter 16. Meditation. 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 I told you in chapter 16. Meditation. Now, do you remember in chapter 16 that, what was the, the, the one vocab word that I wanted you to know from chapter 16? Tavunais. Right, very good. Tavunais are a technical term for something, it's not exactly an emotion, but it's not just cold, hard intellect either. It's, I called it an opinion, sort of a quasi-emotion. So he's going to go back to that term from chapter 16, Tavunais, and he's going to say, when it comes to an emotion that's a, it's good enough, good enough to get you to do something, Tavunais are good enough to, to translate into action. Are they full-fledged emotions like the tzaddik feels where his love of Hashem is more visceral to him than his love of anything of this world? No. No. And we're not going to try to compare ourselves to that because we'll never equal it to that. But I call it appreciations as well. Yeah. Appreciations or opinions or... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, because we, we use the word inclination so much to describe something that's even pre-cognitive, so I don't want to confuse people. Yeah? No, mitech shalalishma balishma is really talking about the first tool where you don't have an emotion, just do it anyway, and maybe someday you'll get into it. This is talking about something different. This is saying, go meditate and try to create some emotions. Will you completely transform your emotions? No. But you could muster enough emotion to translate into motivation for the right action. Why don't you just, you know how many times I try to meditate and it just does not go? Okay, so we need a meditation class, I guess. Okay, but let's, let's continue here, the text. Okay. So he says, when the verse says to do it, means enough love to get you to do the mitzvah. And that's it. If you want real technical terms for it, this is called the arousal of the heart, which is stuck in the recesses of the heart. It's not bursting forth. It's not glowing like a coal fire. And this, to get yourself to feel a little bit of a feeling. Not a major roaring fire of a feeling. Just enough, good enough. This card of ma'id is very accessible. And it's easy for anyone who has a brain in his head. I, f- I feel, in my personal opinion, that is the, probably the funniest line in Tanya. 
because it is funny. It is. There's no way you can read that and not chuckle. Like the Altareb is like, anyone can do this. Well, there's one caveat. You have to have a brain in your head. <laughs> okay. Okay, but <laughs> you only have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Like any skill. Right. So don't get don't get frustrated if it doesn't uh, work the first few thousand times. Okay. You got to be patient. Listen to what he says. Ki Your brain is under your dominion. Remember earlier he said tzaddikim dafka Only tzaddikim have control over their heart. But you have control over your brain. And what does it mean? Oh, I don't have control over my mind. You do, because listen to what he says. You can meditate in your brain about whatever you want to meditate on. Doesn't mean you won't have intrusive thoughts. Of course you will, but you just ignore those. The point is, you can will yourself to focus on a subject mentally. You cannot will yourself directly to have an emotion. But by willing yourself to have a certain, to hold a certain thought, you will indirectly create an emotion by initiating the process whereby emotions are formed. Does that make sense? So we're defining the parameters of our ability to create emotions. Yeah, you could use this for anything, but why would you? It, it's, it's not talking about practice makes perfect or fake it till you make it. It's talking about a cognitive exercise that produces emotions. This is not just do it until it becomes more natural to you. This is not, that, was the, that was an earlier tool. What were you going to say? Uh, this, okay. That was an earlier tool. The earlier tool was just keep doing it and you, know, you don't have to like it. Maybe eventually you'll just get used to it, which is ve- very valid. And we're not discarding that tool. He's just adding another tool, which is, by the way, you can change your emotion to some degree. To what degree? Enough to get you to want to do what you're doing. Does it mean that you're going to be bursting with feeling? No. But you'll at least have enough emotional congruency to the action that it won't be absolute torture for you. So that's what he's explaining. When the Torah says, it's saying like this. It is very accessible. Anyone, anyone with a brain in their head, can meditate on subjects that will bring you to love Hashem. To the degree, because there's many degrees of loving Hashem, to the degree that it will serve as sufficient motivation to go then and willingly do what Hashem wants you to do. That's what he's saying. Yeah. So Rabbi, I'm just thinking to myself, like there have been situations in my life where I've been in an extremely situ- sad situation and yet I cannot cry. And I want to cry. Right. So that's kind of like where you see is like the brain knows what to do, but the emotion is not coming forth. Well, yeah, that, 
example is a complicated example, and without derailing the class and asking you more about those examples, I would think that some of those examples have to do with a self-defense mechanism that Hashem gave us to refuse to fully cognitively process information that would destroy us. No, because what you're describing, where there's something that's very sad and you can't even cry, I think that's protection. Hashem made us that sometimes He won't let our brains fully wrap themselves around something, because if we could, then it would lead to an emotional reaction that we can't handle. Okay, I think that's a separate mechanism. What we're talking about here is where there's a neutral subject, or at least right now it's neutral to me because I don't yet have any emotion about it. And if I will focus cognitively on the subject, it will automatically lead to some level of feeling for the subject. The subject being... Well, the subject here being Hashem. The subject here being Hashem. Yeah. So a question, a very foundational question, is this the premise of Chabad? Chabad meaning Chochmah bin Adas, the name that the Alter Rebbe gave to his system, as opposed to other students of the Magid who were his colleagues who had a different approach. Yes, this is precisely, or this is an example precisely of what the Alter Rebbe's approach was, that one should create feelings for Hashem through meditation. And I, I, I will add, <coughs> through study of mystical texts and meditation. Because really, <coughs> what are you meditating on? It's not just going and walking in the, in the park and meditating on the blades of grass. This is thinking about <coughs> um, mystical texts that explain the inner workings of the universe. It would be, it would be more even than that. Wouldn't it be that the, the cognition has to be connected to the emotion in order for you to fully embrace Hashem? Like the other, like the other whatever, philosophies are, it's more intellectual, it's more studied. Well, about it's translating it into emotion. Right. Well, historically speaking, the, the, the difference between the Al-Tarebbe's approach and the other um, successors of Teirah Sabal Shamtav um, was not so much that he was arguing that intellect has to be connected to emotion, but that emotion has to come from intellect. Because their argument was... Mm -hmm that intellect is not so important. In fact, to the extent that some of them were unjustifiably characterized as anti-intellectual. That was one of the criticisms that the opponents of Chassidus would, uh, they would uh, sort of lampoon the Chassidim by characterizing them as anti-intellectual. They were not anti-intellectual by any stretch, but their approach to dveikus, to attachment to Hashem, was one that emphasized pure emotion. Right. Whereas the Alter Rebbe said that each individual, not just the Rebbe, but every individual has to engage in the mental work. Okay, 
Let's, let's continue here, maybe. I think we can finish the chapter. So a person may not directly control his heart, but he directly controls his mind, and he can choose to meditate on whatever he chooses. <clears throat> okay, that's step one. Step two, now that you know, you can meditate on whatever you choose. She is in If you choose to meditate on the greatness of the Infinite One, automatically, automatically, if you understand the mechanics outlined in chapter three, that the Midas are Toilis Chabad, emotions are the children of intellect. So you understand, when you have mother and you have father, you're going to have children. Mother is Bina and father is Chachma and the children are the Midas. So automatically, Yoilid, you give birth, literally give birth. Bin Mechei at least in your brain, it might not get further out and go into fully into your heart, but at least in your brain. You'll have enough love to want to cleave to Hashem by doing His mitzvahs and learning His Torah. And after all, this is the entire purpose of man, like Shleiman Melech said. What's the purpose of man? Bottom line, get it done. Do the mitzvahs. Because today, meaning this world, is the place of action. It's the place for getting it done. This world, or today, means a, the world of action. Tomorrow, meaning the next world, is the world for spiritual reward. Like it's explained elsewhere. So the point of this world, or let's call it the embodiment phase of your soul's existence, is all about physical action. So bottom line, how do we evaluate the potency of any emotion. Well, how much action did it result in? So you're going to say, well, my emotions are so puny and laughable compared to the emotion that the tzaddik has. Yeah, that's true. But that's not really relevant. Or I shouldn't say it's not relevant, but it's not, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, how does it translate to action? So does your emotion bring you to action? Great. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. No, don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't get to say that. Not to me and not here. Because I want to tell you something. You're, you're making a very valid social critique that is unfounded right here. This is the antidote to that disease. What we're talking about is the antidote. Don't say then you end up like the Alter Rebbe just gave you the formula for that problem. Uh, let's talk about it because you raised it and it's on everyone's mind. Yes, we have a, is it too inflammatory a word to say, a plague of people who are observant, who do not feel anything for what they're doing and they're going through the motions. Yes. Please do not attribute that to I don't think you meant that. That was triggering something that you heard in another class, not this class. Okay, let's make this very clear. It's 100% an issue. People who are going through the motions and saying, let's just get it done, let's just do it. They're uninspired. They have nothing to transmit to their children because they don't even know why they're doing it themselves. Huge issue. That's 100% agreed. Anyone with a brain in their head <laughs> knows that this is an issue in the Orthodox community. We all know that. Okay. What the Alter Rebbe is saying here is the opposite of that. 
He's saying, you could completely bypass your emotions. And in fact, when you're starting off, I want you to do that. And that's what he taught us in chapter 12. When you're starting off, I do want you to bypass your emotions. Just do the right thing, even though you don't feel like it. But he doesn't leave you there. He says, and now I want you to revisit your emotions. I want you to have emotions. Now, I know you, you're a perfectionist, so you're going to say, but my emotions will never be as intense as a tzaddik's. So he says, I know that. But remember, when you're looking at your emotion, don't judge your emotion based on comparing it to a tzaddik. Judge your emotion based on one criterion. Did it translate to the right action? So he's not at all, God forbid, saying that as long as you do it, I don't care how you feel. He's not saying that at all. To the contrary, he could have completely glossed over the whole emotion issue. He's choosing to bring it up. He's choosing to, 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 to bring up the concept of emotion and say to you, even though it is true, I acknowledge you will never achieve full mastery of your emotions because tzaddikim dafkim libam barushusam. Only tzaddikim can do that. However, you can and you must have emotional alignment with the behaviors of, of Torah and Judaism. And the way to achieve, and then he tells you the way to do that, the way to achieve emotional alignment. Not full alignment, but to some degree, to whatever degree, on your level that you can muster, is through meditation. Through meditation. To develop divine consciousness. To develop divine consciousness so that, because that's the only... Okay, so we've got a few different steps here. And all, everyone said a different step. It's interesting. If I really want to, I would analyze why each one of you said the step that you said. It probably is, yeah, I would probably find out a lot about you. By, but yes, consciousness, behavior, emotion. Okay? I, I'm sure there is significant to that. But at any rate, let's put it all together. You have to develop, and it's not even in that order, but it's interesting how you consciousness, behavior, emotion. Okay. It's actually consciousness, emotion, behavior. You develop divine consciousness, which gives birth to divine emotions, which translate to divine behaviors. And we need to have all three components. We must have all three components. It originates, it originates from meditation. Yeah. Okay. Let's continue here. The Hameach and the brain. Shalat Bitive Vetildase Al Cholas Molish Belev Valpiv Al Kole Varm Shame Kleamaisa. The brain rules over the heart naturally by birth, over the left ventricle of the heart and the mouth and the limbs and all of the, the limbs of action. So now, as, as I've been explaining, he's, exp he's calling this tool Mayach Shal even though that term was already used previously to describe something different. I think I've told this to you before, but Mayach Shal changes, it doesn't change meaning, but it gains an additional meaning in this chapter. Mayach Shal when it was introduced to us, means the ability to bypass your emotions and just do the right thing even when you don't feel like it at all. 
Now Mayach Shatalev also means the ability to indirectly create emotions through meditation. They're both true, and we're going to do both. We're going to do both. Okay. Now here's a little bit of a sticky part. <coughs> I have trouble teaching this part. <coughs> yeah. Because he, he states here a caveat. He says anybody can control their brain and meditate on Hashem and get themselves to love Hashem. Unless he's a Rasha Be'emes. Rasha Be'emes doesn't mean a regular Rasha. You know, what we learned in Tanya is there are a lot of very sweet, good people, from people, God-fearing people, who are Rishoyim. Because remember, what a Veda! What a Veda is already a Rasha. So he's, the Rasha doesn't mean such a terrible guy. It could be very good person. 99.9% .9 of, of what he does all day is mitzvahs. And he does 0.1% of Vedas. That's called a Rasha. He explained that in Perik Aleph, according to Gemara. Okay? So there are very fine people who are Rashoyim. We're not talking about that. Rasha Ba'emis is a whole other category, a pathological Rasha. Now, one of the problems I always have every time I teach this is there's always some neurotic Jew. I usually teach Tanya to Jews. There's always some neurotic Jew who comes to me and says, I'm the Rasha Ba'emis. You're not the Rasha Ba'emis, okay? <laughs> You're not, no one in this class is the Rasha Ba'emis, okay? All right. Don't, do not go there. <coughs> so he says, there's someone who's a Rasha Ba'emis. The wicked are in the domain of their heart. Their heart is not in their domain. Rabbi Dr. Tversky, all of a shalom, who was a teacher of mine in many ways, he used to explain this, and I'm not saying this is shot in the Gemara or in Tanya, <coughs> but he used to use this concept to explain addiction. What does powerlessness mean? He used to say, in that Indian, the person doesn't have control. It's as if their power of choice was taken away from them. Because I know a lot of people have a difficulty with this concept. Don't I have free choice? What? Could the Rebbe repeat? The wicked are in the domain of the The domain of the, the wicked are under the control of their heart, and their heart is not under their control. Is there a tzaddik Yeah, it's gummer, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you call it that, but... Now, he explains why this happened, how this happened. I don't know if why, but how it happened, that this person became such a rasha, that they no longer have that ability to create emotions for Hashem. It's a punishment for how bad their sins were. When Torah said, it was not speaking about those exceptions. Those people, I'm sorry, all bets are off. And again, I have to, 
I have to say it again because there's someone sitting here or someone watching there who's like, this is me. He's talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Okay? If you, in fact, I, 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 can't, I can't promise you this, but to the best that I'm able to promise that anything I say that I didn't see black on white is true, anything that I use my own logic to come up with, I never saw this black on white, but my logic tells me, and I'm as confident about this statement as I can be about any logical deduction that I have made on my own, if, you're, if you have enough self-awareness to even question whether this applies to you, it doesn't apply to you. It's Dafka the guy who's listening to this. He's like, oh, you know who he's talking about? My father-in-law, <laughs> right? That's the guy, that, okay, maybe who is being discussed here. Okay. These people cannot start serving Hashem until they clear up their past. They have to break the klipas, which are serving as an iron partition between them and their Father in Heaven. They break that iron partition by breaking their own hearts through bitterness. Like the Zayar explains that in order to break this klippa, you have to break your heart. This tshuva that these Rishayim have to do before they can start serving Hashem is called the lower level tshuva to take the hay, the lower hay of Hashem's four-letter name, yud ke vav out of the klippa where they put it through their actions. Shuseid golos hashchina, that location of the lower hay, which corresponds to Malchus, being caught in Klippa and needing to be brought up out of Klippa, that condition is also known as the exile of the Shechina. Shechina is Malchus. When the Jews went into the Edomite Roman exile, the Shechina accompanied them. And what that means is, when a person does an Edomite action, when a person sins, he brings the spark of God, which is enlivening his soul with him, because after all, he is a Jew, even though he's sinning, and he puts that spark of godliness into exile. Just like when the Jews collectively went into exile, they brought the Shechina with them. So when a Jew individually does something wrong, so he's bringing with him the godly spark and putting it into exile. Yeah. Remember that godly spark, why is it stuck there along for the sin, coming along for the ride? Because it's in, the godly soul is invested in the animal soul, and the animal soul is uh, 
is making him sin. which as we learned in chapter 9 is located in the left ventricle of the heart. And this animal soul in the left ventricle is what is dominating him when he, and, and, and controlling the small city, remember from chapter 9, the small city metaphor, while he is still a Russia, and his holy nefesh, ruach and neshama, his godly soul, is conquered right now, and it has to, it's being forced, it's hijacked, it has to come along for the ride, so it is in exile. But when he breaks his heart through bitterness, through contrition, through through remorse, so then that in turn breaks this negative hold that is on him. And he comes in the then the lower hay is freed, disencumbered from its gullus, and it rises up and stands. Like it's explained elsewhere. Okay, so those are the mechanics of tshuva for someone who is in such a dire situation that he can't even start doing what we're learning about here in Tanya. Somebody who, until he has, let's say, a bottoming out experience, until he hits bottom and he's completely broken, he can't do the, the work here of Tanya. But again, that's not any of you, but it's interesting to know about. It's an interesting case study. Okay, fine, now you know about it. But for everyone here and everyone here, let's do the work that it describes in Tanya. And even though you might not be perfect in your actions yet, even though you might technically still be in the category not of a tzaddik or even of a benini, okay, so We'll work on our behaviors, but um, you're not so bad off that you have to follow what he says here, that this guy, he can't even start using these tools until he has this terrible uh, experience of, of uh, complete ego death. No. Yeah? The second definition, Mayach Shaltalev. Okay, so the first Mayach Shaltalev is force yourself. Force yourself. Well, what about my emotions? Bypass your emotions. The second Mayach Shaltalev is change yourself. Actually try to get yourself to feel what you, what you should be feeling. Even though you know that you'll never completely get yourself there, and you'll never have those emotions be as intense as they could be, or as intense as other emotions that you have. But it'll be enough. Enough to what? Consciousness, emotion, behavior. Consciousness, brain. Consciousness, emotion, behavior is... Brain, heart, body. Brain, heart, body. So is this Russia at a point where... This guy at the end of chapter 17? Yes. Yeah. Is this Russia at a point where the animal soul is in complete autonomy? Complete yeah. control? Yeah, he's out of control. Yeah, completely out of control. So yeah. 
So he can't do any of the stuff that we've been, we've been learning about. We're all pleasure seekers. This no, is a special. This is somebody who's. We all pleasure seekers. Yeah. Then we stop ourselves. Right. Is this the person who can't stop this? He just can't stop. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that's what Rabbi Dr. Tversky said. This is like the dis in a like description of addiction. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're all good. Okay. All right.